Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Have we gotten to this point where people wake up every morning looking for something to be offended about? I live in this place called the real world, and I understand what is going to happen. Her story is, I was trying to scare him away. At the same time, she shot him point blank in the face. Okay, that's not exactly a warning shot. The Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. Coming up next, Squirrel. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Group producing the show today and always. Have you ever heard of the Freedom Road Socialist Organization? No. No, you haven't because you're not a kook. Now, look, the, the, the right wing has them, too. There, there are wing nuts on both sides. The, the right wing nut jobs get more attention because the mainstream media, which tends to lean left, likes to focus on the extremists on the right. But trust me, there are extremists on the left. If you look at the protests that, that go on, on that are organized like on a drop of a hat around the country, but also in Milwaukee, if you watch them, what you will see is it's the same people over and over and over again who show up at the protest. It, it, it doesn't matter what it is that they're protesting. You know, it, it, it's it, we got to get you know, we have to have more be more involved with Cuba. OK, so there's like 40 people that show up and they're wearing waving the signs and, you know, and then they've got their dogs and their kids and things like that. Or it, it just then 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 you see another protest. Hey, we've got to get out of we have to give more money to Latin America. And you look and it, it's it's like, boy, it's the same 40 people and the same dogs and the same children that they brought. It's there, there are the professional protesters that are out there and it doesn't matter what the issue is. And they tend to be large these really, really fringe groups, like the Freedom Road Socialist Organization. What is the Freedom Road Socialist Organization? Well, I, I'm looking at, at the website for, for this. Um, all the stuff on the website starts off, Dear Comrades. That, that tells you where you're going to go. The Freedom Road Socialist Organization is a national organization of revolutionaries fighting for socialism in the United States. Their home is in the working class, I read from their website. Freedom Road Socialist Organization members are rooted in the mass movements for justice, particularly in the labor movements and the movements of oppressed nations and nationalities, especially African Americans and Chicanos. We are active in the immigrants' rights, anti-war, student and youth movements. We are organizing the united front against monopoly capitalism with the strategic alliance of the multinational working class and oppressed nationality movements at its core. In other words... You know, oppressed peoples of the world, unite. We are here. This is our general strategy for revolution in the United States. All right, now let me just give you a hint. Whenever you see a group that is touting revolution in the United States, my recommendation is run. Just just run, because they're going to be nut jobs. The Freedom Road Socialist Organization is recruiting and building towards the creation of a new communist party based on Marxism-Leninism. This is necessary to lead the way to social socialism and liberation. Our newspaper, Fight Back, is popular at protests, etc., etc. Okay, you get the idea. They're a bunch of left-wing nut jobs. To give you an idea of how extreme this group is, they will not endorse any Democratic politicians for office, including including Bernie Sanders. OK, Bernie Sanders, who is a socialist, 
is not radical enough for the Freedom Road Socialist Organization. So that, that just that tells you, you know, that, that the bats are flying around the belfry whenever you see this group. Now, why do I tell you about the Freedom Road Socialist Organization? Well, over the weekend, after President Trump announced the the uh, the strike in Iraq, which took out the sort of terrorist military commander that's generated all this controversy, you had protests that were launched in a number of cities. These weren't massive protests in the U.S., and generally speaking, it was that that same sort of the the, the coalition of, you know, we we hate the U.S. government and, you know, no, no, no war, et cetera, et cetera. And it's, it's not a loud group. And it's the same group, largely, that you see at all these protests. But in Milwaukee, they, they mobilized, such as they were, and they, they went out and they had a protest on the corner of 27th and Oklahoma, on the south side. And they, they had people, you know, waving signs and stuff, standing on the, the four corners. And it again, in, in Milwaukee, what happens is, you know, the, the newspaper and the TV stations, that they, they guppy on this stuff. You say, hey, there's a protest, and, you know, they send down, go down there with their TV cameras, and, you know, and again, the, the protesters stay till they make sure they get on TV, and then they kind of disperse and go back and plan whatever the, the next revolutionary strategy is. So they're down there, and one of the, the kind of left-wing, far-left-wing organizations that arranged for for this protest was the Freedom Road Socialist Organization. So, I mean, th- this this shows you who's organizing this. All right, so so it's fine that you got a right to protest. Well, into the picture walks State Senator Chris Larson. Chris Larson wants to be the next Milwaukee County Executive. Chris Larson's had various jobs. He, he was um, a county supervisor for a while. He's been in the state Senate. He's one of these upwardly mobile politicians who's always looking for what's the next gig that he's going to be able to get. And, he, and he's, he's left-leaning, but he, he's, he's a Democrat. So anyhow, Larson gets invited to go to this protest. And he thinks, hey, this is great. Plus, I need people to sign my nominating petitions and all. So Larson shows up at this this protest and, according to the Journal Sentinel, poses for all sorts of photographs, him buddy buddy with the Freedom Road Socialist Organization, which, again, is this revolutionary movement decided and, you know, who, who want to let's 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 kind of let's change this government by, again, revolution. So they pose. He apparently poses with all these photos, including standing behind a bright red banner for the Freedom Road Socialist Organization. So they take all these pictures. Larson's getting them all to sign his county exec thing. And then they end up putting them up on the campaign's Facebook page. Here's Chris Larson and his supporters. All these guys who are organizing the united front against monopoly capitalism. Um, <laughs> the story in the Journal Sentinel, it actually quotes you know, Dan Adams, who is an occasional guest on Scafidi's show. And they, um, you know, he, he's a Democrat. And he's like posing, pic- posing, posting pictures with these kooks. That's the Democrats word, not mine, but it's true. Posting pictures with these kooks helps to legitimize their radical values. No self-respecting member of the Democratic Party of Wisconsin would give these people the time of day, let alone broadcast their efforts on their own Facebook page. 
But that apparently is not Chris Larson, who again shows up at the protest. I'm all in favor of this solidarity. Workers of the world, unite. Here, let's take these pictures. So then they find out that he's posing with all these these left-wing nut jobs, and the campaign is immediately into the, oh, and apparently they have now taken down the pictures, but not before everybody realizes, what, what were you doing? Now, this is always a problem that politicians have, but a lot of times what it'll be is at a fundraiser or something, somebody will come up and they'll go up to the politician and they'll pose and they'll get the picture taken, and the politician will really kind of been ambushed. They, they won't know that... Hey, this 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 kook just kind of came up and had the picture taken because you don't know. I mean, there's lots of people that are at the fundraiser or whatever. This is the reverse. In this case, Chris Larson, the guy who wants to be the Milwaukee County executive, he went to the event, sought out this attention, posed with this group, posted the pictures all over his Facebook page. And then and only then found out, hmm, maybe this isn't the smartest thing. Bottom line, advice to the candidate running for office, before you want to run out and decide to, figuratively speaking, get in bed with some of these groups, maybe you want to do at least a little bit of a Wikipedia search first to find out who it is that you are lying down with. Just saying. When we come back, is it another plot by the evil Republicans to guarantee that Donald Trump is elected. We discuss. I'll tell you all about it. Stick around. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. All right. Here is the story. Are Republicans trying, and my question is going to be, are, is the Republican Party trying to pull a fast one on Wisconsin voters? Here, here, here is the deal. The Wisconsin presidential primary is going to be held on April 7th, right? That's the same day as the general elections and the nonpartisan races when you decide mayors and there's a Supreme Court race that's going to be on the ballot. You know, we'll be talking about all that over the next couple months. The what happens is there there are there is a group. The way you get on the ballot for the presidential primary, there's two ways to do it. First of all, there's a bipartisan panel. By that, five Republicans, five Democrats. And under the law, the panel is entitled to put on the ballot the names of all candidates whose candidacy is generally advocated or recognized in the national news media throughout the United States. In other words, the panel gets to make the determination as to who is a a serious candidate for the particular party's nomination. Five Republicans, five Democrats. And what typically happens is the Democrats defer to the Republicans and the Republicans defer to the Democrats. So the, the Democrats, and I don't have the list of the names that they've recommended, but you know the, the Democrats on the panel are going to make the decision, these are the viable candidates that we think that are, that are out there. And my guess is it's not going to be everybody that's necessarily still running. I could be wrong, but but, you know, who, who knows? But but they, they winnow the field a little bit. The Republicans have to do the same thing. And generally what happens is, like I say, you defer. So the Republicans, the five Republicans say, okay, these are the serious Republican candidates. 
And these are the names that should go on the ballot. And the Democrats typically agree. And the Democrats say these are the, the, these are the serious Democrat candidates, and the Republicans go along with it. Now, if you don't get placed on the ballot by this panel, it doesn't mean you can't get on the ballot. But what you have to do is you have to get your name on the ballot in the more traditional way of selecting signatures. So what happens is if you get left out, let's say you're running for president and this panel doesn't put you on the Wisconsin ballot. Well, you can still get on the ballot. What you have to do is you have to get 8,000 signatures, nominating signatures, and you have to submit them by January 28th. So you, you got to go out and get it. But, of course, if you're a serious president, 8,000 signatures, it's a lot of signatures. But if you're a serious presidential candidate, well, it, it's it, it shouldn't be too hard to get 8,000 signatures. And I think like 1,500 or so or 1,400 have to come from each of the um, Wisconsin, each of the, the eight congressional districts. I think that's how it works. But but you got to go get signatures if, if you're left off. All right. The Republicans, and here's where this is becoming a story. The Republicans on this panel, this commission, announced today that they are recommending that only Donald Trump be on the Wisconsin primary ballot. Now, you might not know this, but there are two other Republicans who are at least in name challenging President Trump. One is former Massachusetts governor, former U.S. attorney, William Weld, Bill Weld, and the other is former Illinois congressman, Joe Walsh. Both of them have announced that they are running against Donald Trump. Neither one has very much money. Neither one is really actively campaigning in the, the sense that they're, you know, traveling around and getting media attention. My guess is if I had opened up the phone lines and said, who are the Republicans that are challenging Donald Trump for the nomination? 80 to 85 percent of you would have had no idea. But but it's these two. Anyhow, these two Republicans are not going to be on the primary ballot, at least if the Republicans on the panel get their way. They can go out if they've got a campaign organization in the state, which I'm not sure either one does. You know, you could rate, you could get 8,000 signatures, but short of getting the signatures, and I doubt that they will do that because there's no campaign structure, they're going to be left off the ballot. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And at least as of now, I don't know who the Democrats are recommending be on the ballot and who ends up getting left off. But I want to talk about the Republican side. All right. Should these other fringe candidates, who most people have probably never heard of, should they be included on the primary ballot as well? Is this just stacking the odds in favor of Donald Trump? Has the institutional Republican Party sold out? Or nobody knows them. They're not raising any sort of money. If they want to get on the ballot, it's not unreasonable to say they should get signatures. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have no problem with excluding these guys from the ballot. And it's not because I'm trying to grease the skids for Donald Trump. I would have loved to have seen, you know, a serious challenge emerge in the Republican Party to President Trump. I, I think that would have actually been good for the party. I was I was hoping that you would get some serious challenger that emerged. That's not what has happened thus far. And I, if you look at this standard, 
to be placed on the ballot. You're somebody who has to essentially demonstrate that you've, you know, you've got some degree of viability. Neither one of these guys has it, do they? 855-616-1620. If you're on the line, hold on. We discuss in just a moment. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. I swear, there are times when I, I wonder if Tom Barrett ever says, do I really want this job? I mean, it, and look, there's lots of stuff you can criticize Barrett for. And it, it's interesting to me, though, to see some of the battles that you end up having to fight. Remember while back that the city has been desperately trying to get a business I mean, a real business, a manufacturer, to go in and locate into that, that center city area, which is by the old A.O. Smith plant and stuff on, on Capitol Drive. And, and it's been pretty much a moonscape. Now, I understand there's a small brewery that's there, but they've been trying to, to get a business to locate there. You've got a heavily economically depressed area. So they're trying to find a business that's going to come in and provide jobs for the area, and they're hoping that if you can get a a manufacturing concern that's going, that's going to employ hundreds of people, that there'll be some spillover and maybe you'll have some retail development, all those things. So they work really hard. They bust their tails, and then they end up cutting a deal with like uh, Strauss Meatpacking, which is a, a, a boutique meat packer. Currently, they operate in Franklin. So they cut this deal. Strauss is going to go down there. They're going to bring hundreds of jobs. It looks like it's a great deal. And then all of a sudden, you have some of the people in the community and some of the aldermen who decide, well, we don't want these kind of jobs. We don't want a meat packing plant here without ever even going out and investigating what that really means. I mean, they're, they're thinking, oh, we saw this movie about what meatpacking plants used to look like in 1920, and so we, we just don't want it. It's going to smell. Well, it doesn't smell it at all. And, and this, we don't want these kind of jobs. So ultimately, Strauss says, understandably, okay, if you don't want us, that's fine. We're, we're not going to fight the community. You don't want us there, fine. And, and Tom Barrett is the mayor who's probably pulling out his hair going, my God, you know, we, we've been fighting to try to bring jobs and get some economic development in this area, and, and we cut this deal, and then all of a sudden you have some of the local politicians that decide to, uh, again, do you know what on the deal, and, and understandably the company backs out. You've got, I think, a similar version of that on a different scale that's playing out today. Dollar General is no longer going to be trying to locate in the third ward. And I think that area is going to be worse off for it. Now, let's review the bidding. We've talked about this before. Dollar General is, you know, I mean, you've probably seen them. It's the traditional sort of dollar stores, right? Everybody knows what a Dollar General is. Dollar General also has a, a new type of store. They're, these are small format convenience stores. They're called DGX, Dollar General X. Um, and what, what they are is they're mini versions of, like, the traditional Dollar General stores. But what they do is they offer... Um, grab and grow, grab and go sandwiches. They offer soda. They offer toiletries. You know, the, this type of stuff you would, would find. Coffee, that type of stuff. Um, the type of thing that people who live and work in urban areas need. 
and, and, and would like. So what they do is they wanted to locate this DGX store. We have a soda fountain, a coffee station, grab-and-go sandwiches, groceries, pet supplies, candies and snacks, paper products, all those type of things that, for example, people who might live in the third ward who, you know, don't want to – I don't know, drive or take the trolley for a couple miles, they might want to be able to use. For all the people who work in the third ward, maybe this would be something that, hey, you know, at lunch I want to be able to walk in and just get a grab-and-go sandwich. They wanted to locate in uh, these these adjacent vacant storefronts on on Broadway, just south of East St. Paul Avenue. So you're you're just to the south of the public market. And so Dollar General said, hey, we're going to come in here. We're going to locate. This is going to be great. We're going to employ people. We're going to provide this service. And everybody thought, it, at least most people thought it was a good idea, except for some of the people in the neighborhood, some of the merchants who said, wait a second, we don't, we don't want a Dollar General or a DGX store here. I mean, th- that's a convenience store. And our plan for the third ward is we want a boutique shopping destination. We want, you know, retailers on on this area. You know, um, I love it. Some of the people that oppose this said, well, we don't want a convenience store there because it might attract homeless people among its customers. I mean, how dare how dare these homeless people decide to come down into the Tony Third Ward? Don't you understand that we have all these boutique dress shops and, and, and we don't want a place where our workers can go and run in and get a sandwich or get a soda or, or get a cup of coffee or, you know, if they need or if they live in that immediate area. I mean, heaven forbid that somebody who lives in that area should be able to walk around the corner and walk in and, and get some paper towels or some toilet paper. We don't want any of that. We want... Uh, again, the boutiques and things like that. So there was these objections that were, were placed. Initially, it didn't look like the complainers were going to be able to stop this. But then, as it turns out, in order to make a go of this, the Dollar General, the DGX, they, they wanted to sell beer. They wanted to sell beer and wine. And they, I guess beer and, and food. And in order to do that, they would have to get a license from the the city to sell prepared foods, beer, and wine. And once it became apparent that you need to have a license to do this, this gave the opponents, the complainers, this gave them a foothold to try to stall this. Now, at, at the end of the day, the announcement has just come out that Dollar General they're, they're not going to, they're, they're abandoning this area. They're, they're bailing on this particular storefront, and apparently the storefront is going to be rented to just what they need in that area, a hydration clinic, for hydration clinic for me. I don't even know what a hydration clinic is. Um, but, but if you're looking to get a grab-and-go sandwich, or you're looking to get a six-pack of beer, or you're looking to get some toilet paper to take home to your apartment, you're out of luck. But you can go get hydrated. I mean, there there is those like the soda shops from way back in like the forties. Hydration clinic? No, like the hydration stations. Is that what you're talking about? No, no, no. I, I think it's like a spa type of thing. I I don't know. Go look look it up on the look it up. Tell me. You could. But anyways, I don't mean to pick on the hydration clinic. But but that's what's going in there. They've dropped. 
I mean, they, they've dropped the Dollar General. And there's all these people that are popping champagne corks. Oh, this is good. We've kept Dollar General out of the third ward. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, where, where I live, I've got my choice of all sorts of different stores that I can go to. But, you know, the truth of the matter is there's lots of people who are, in fact, you know, going to the third ward. There's people who work in the third ward. There's people who live in the third ward. And this idea that, oh, a, a Dollar General convenience store doesn't fit in, I completely and totally reject that. And, and again, I, I understand that this is this is the not-in-my-backyard group, but i got to believe that if that area is going to be livable for the people that are moving down there, you'd be much better off having a convenience store where you can quickly go get some of your basic needs than you would be having another hoity-toity boutique. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, it's unclear exactly why Dollar General decided to back out on this, but my guess is that, you know, faced with opposition, faced with political fights, faced with at least some people in a neighborhood who were railing against them, uh, they, I would imagine, just made this decision that life is too short. You know, we don't need to move somewhere where we're not wanted, just like the meatpacking plant decided, okay, well, we don't need to go somewhere we're not wanted. My question is this, though. I mean, isn't that the type of business that that area needs? And isn't that the type of business that would benefit the area? And is that area really better off knowing that that type of convenience store that fills a need for real people isn't going to be there? And my answer would be, no, the area is not better off. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What say you? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, I don't mean to pick on this hydration therapy place, but I mean, it, 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 maybe this is what they, they think they need in the third ward. It's one of these places, there's one in Chicago where you go and you get personalized IV hydration therapy to make sure your body is getting hydration, vitamins, and nutrients it needs to look to feel and perform your best. Our IV treatments intravenously deliver fluids, medications, vitamins, and other nutritional supplements directly and safely into your bloodstream. Okay, vitamin shots. Okay, that, that's the type of place. It's Tony, it's hip, it's trendy, and it's going to be going into the third ward. My point is, the folks down there, you have some of these neighbors, the not-in-my-backyard folks, who've decided, well, we don't think a place like a Dollar General. We don't think a convenience store. Now, again, I've, I've got nothing wrong with hydration therapy. I've got nothing wrong with Tony boutiques and things like that. But if if there's going to be real people that are down there and that are living there, don't you also need stuff that real people use? Don't you need a, a convenient place for somebody on their way to work to be able to run into and get a cup of coffee? Don't you need something that, I, I don't know, if somebody lives in one of the apartments or one of the condos and stuff in the third ward, don't wouldn't it be nice to have a place where you can just kind of run around the corner and grab some, oh, we're out of toilet paper, or we need paper towels, or we need paper plates, or, or something like that. Wouldn't it be nice to have one of those type of businesses there as well, instead of this, well, we just don't think that it fits into the area. Okay, some text. Jeff, I've been to work in various different buildings where these boutique shops are in the Third Ward. Um, there's hardly everyone in them. I'm wondering how they can afford the rent. Yeah, I, I just... Um, um, I 
I don't know. Okay, Jeff, my wife and I were just shopping in the Third Ward. I'm so glad there will be no Dollar General. We go there for the shops and the restaurants. Well, okay, so that that's fine. You wouldn't be going there for the, the Dollar General. If you're coming from the suburbs to go wander around in the Third Ward, yeah, my guess is you're probably not stopping the Dollar General. But what about the people that are working at the stores? And what about the people that are living in that area who – might like the fact that, hey, it would have been nice to have a place where you can run and it's 10 o'clock at night and you're out of toilet paper and you can get some. I mean, isn't that what makes a city livable? And again, I think it's reasonable, and Dollar General was prepared to make sure that the architecture of the building and stuff didn't didn't stand out like a sore thumb. They were going to conform to all this. But, you know, um, the, the idea of offering this to the people that live there, I, I think was an incredible asset. Now, again, I, I the, the bottom line here is that nobody said they couldn't go in, but you had all these neighbors that objected, and you had all these different hoops that they now had to jump through once they wanted licenses, and, and they just decided, um, you know, boom, that they're they're going to pull out. Okay, so they're, they're not going to the third ward. That's fine. There's no place like that, but... Don't businesses like that belong? Isn't there a need for them as well as the need for the hydration clinics and the boutiques that sell the really expensive clothing and the the fancy bars and the nice restaurants? Can't these things all coexist? And if you're looking to make a city livable, aren't, aren't, aren't these some of the things that you need as well? Randy in Milwaukee. Randy, you're on WTMJ. Hey there. Hi, Randy. Thanks for uh, giving me the time. Sure. Yeah. My point on this topic is, first of all, I get the need for convenience and accessibility, but if you do just a Google search for the number of, like, these dollar store convenience, uh, I kind of lost count after 50, and I would beg the question, my first point being, like, do we really actually need another one? And the proximity to the closest dollar available convenience store is pretty close. So that would be my first point. Second point being is that, look, at the end of the day, businesses are in the business to make money and to sell. And so I can assure you that if there's an opportunity for Dollar to do well in the backyard of the Third Ward, they're going to find a way to be there. But, like, I'm assuming based on density and oversaturation of these Dollar stores that Quite frankly, it's not the best place to do business. Well, no, they, no, they, no. You're, you're. I think you're completely off. Tell, tell me where, where's the nearest Dollar General to where this is? This is going to be right next to the public market. Where's the nearest Dollar General in that part of town? Way to the south, I right? Looked, yeah, I looked. I looked. There's one. There's a few west. There's a few northwest. South. I'd have to look again. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, I, I mean, Randy. I mean, I, pre- I think if you look, you're you're not going to find any in in the the third ward proper. I, I mean, you're you're, and that's what that's what I think the folks at Dollar General were being. Now, if you want to argue that there's too many dollar stores throughout the community, etc., I, I I get it. I, I understand that. But in this particular area, I think what you're going to find is, is there's there aren't the so-called convenience stores that that are there. That's why they were trying to fill the need. So I guess, I mean, we'll, we'll see. 
end of the day, you know, they decided apparently that it's just not worth fighting that this particular battle. And again, if you don't don't want us, that's fine. We'll we'll go somewhere else. And I'm look, I'm not losing sleep over whether Dollar General locates in the third ward or not. To me, it's not so much Dollar General. It's more about what about the people who live in that immediate area? What about the people who work at the hip and trendy stores who, you know, do have to go out to lunch occasionally or or might want to run in and get an affordable type of sandwich? which are a grab-and-go thing or something like that. I mean, don't don't they have an interest as well? Just ask it. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Fair or unfair, if you are an Iranian foreign national, what do you think is going to happen? Let me, let me tell you the story. Um, of course, everybody is aware of the ongoing controversy, the escalating tensions between the United States and Iran as a result of the president's decision last week to order the drone strikes that took out the Iranian terrorist leader. Uh, there was, of course, the big funeral, and now everybody's talking about you know what's going to end up happening in the mid in the in the Middle East, and where are we going to see the future going? Iran is a little bit limited as to what they could do because years and years ago, their their control of, of oil gave them a lot of leverage. Now, it still gives them a little bit of leverage, but it is just a little bit of leverage because given the way our abilities now through fracking and things like that, we are a lot less dependent on places like Iran for foreign oil. But nevertheless, given their location in the Middle East and the fact that Oil from the Middle East has to pass through the Strait of Hormuz, and that's very easy to choke off if you're Iran. I mean, there, there's no question that there are issues that are are like that. Plus, what you've seen over the course of the last couple of days is you've seen a lot of large-scale saber, saber rattling. You have the leaders in Iran who are talking about how there will be responses and there will be direct attacks and things of the like. That's that's the world we live in now, which brings me to something that happened over the weekend. And the facts are a little bit un- unclear. And I-, I guess, well, I have a sense of what probably really went on, but but we will see. In the Pacific Northwest, you've got Washington State, which has a, shares a border with Canada. All right. And in the Pacific Northwest, in Washington State, there are apparently um, large pockets where Iranians, uh, um, typically um, U.S. citizens with Iranian backgrounds, live. Right? That, that's, I guess I never realized that, but that's the case. And similarly, a lot of people with ties to Iran also live on the other side of the border in Canada. So there, there's a lot of going back and forth across the, the border. You know, there's people who live in Washington State, for example, and maybe they work in Canada or vice versa, etc. Also, over the weekend, apparently in Canada, there was a, a concert um, put on by an Iranian pop star. So what happened is you had a number of people who um, live in Washington State 
who traveled to Vancouver, which of course is is in Canada, traveled to Vancouver to see the the, the, the musician, and then so they were coming back. And so when you're coming back into the country, you got to go through customs. So that that's that's the background. There's a lot of give and take. Well, there's all these reports that are out there about how as people Iranians some of whom are Iranian nationals and others who are Iranian Americans were coming back into this country through a couple of the border crossings, you know, at the Canadian, at the Canada-Washington state border, about the reports are that the customs officials were detaining them and providing and requiring them to go through extra sort of questioning. And the stories that I've been looking at, you've got a couple Iranian Americans who are saying yeah, we were detained like six or seven hours and we were asked all these questions about our backgrounds, et cetera, et cetera. And it's then and only then that we were let in back into the, the country. Nobody was apparently turned away, but there was this extra sort of screening that they say that went on. Now, the Border Patrol says, look, there, there was no concerted effort to target Iranian Americans. That's not what was happening. We were just, we were understaffed. This was after a holiday weekend that was there, and we had an, an extra large amount of people that were coming into, back into the country for whatever reason, and we just got behind. And so, yes, some people had to wait a couple hours, but it wasn't because we were specifically targeting them because of their Iranian background. It was just because we were overwhelmed with this. So, I mean, I don't know what the truth of of all that is, but to me, and this is what I think is interesting, I I guess there's really two questions. First of all, if you are a U.S. citizen, whether you are, whether you were born in Iran and now came over to the U.S. and became a citizen, or whether you have a green card that allows you to have U.S. residency, or whether you are of Iranian descent but are born in the United States, as long as you've got that, I I don't think there's any basis for detaining you and asking you questions about, you know, who, who do you know in Iran and were you ever in the Iran military? I mean, if you are lawfully entitled to be here, I think you get treated like everybody else. The interesting thing about this story is that they mix together the Iranian-Americans who are trying to come back in and the fact that they allegedly got extra scrutiny, along with dozens of Iranians who were trying to come back or come into the country who got scrutiny. Now, let me try to be clear about this. If you are a legal resident of the U.S. or you're a citizen, I don't think your, your nationality, your country of origin should matter. And and I don't think it's right to give an Iranian-American any additional scrutiny other more than you'd give a, a Chinese-American or just, you know, somebody who was born like me in the United States. I mean, if you've got those papers, boom, you come in. That being said, if you are a foreign national, all right, in, in the climate today where you have essentially all these alerts, where you have calls for attacks on Americans – If you are, for example, an Iranian national trying to come into this country, I don't think it's unreasonable to expect that you're going to get, at this particular time, maybe a little bit of added scrutiny. 
Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, again, the Border Patrol, they say, look, we were just overwhelmed. There, there wasn't any intent to single out or Iranians per se. We were just kind of overwhelmed with all these people that were coming in. We didn't have enough staff. Again, I don't know whether that's accurate or not. I don't think you give Iranian-Americans extra scrutiny. But at the same time, if, if you've got dozens of Iranian nationals that are trying to come across the border, yeah, I, I don't think it's unreasonable to say maybe we're going to ask a couple follow-up questions because you, you, you can't ignore what happened on Friday. You can't ignore the aftermath of that. You can't ignore some of the threats that are coming out of Iran. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting that these people who are coming into the country are suicide bombers merely because, you know, they are of Iranian descent. But if you're if you're not... A legal American, if you're not a U.S. citizen, if you're not, whether you're born here or whether you're naturalized or whatever, yeah, yeah, if, I, I think it's not unreasonable to say you should expect to get a couple extra questions asked. And that's, if they didn't do that, as a matter of fact, I'd be a little bit surprised. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, given what's going on in the world, is it unfair to single out people from certain countries as opposed to U.S. citizens who might be of the descent of that country, is it unfair to single them out for a couple extra questions before you let them into the country, given where we are in the world today? My answer would be, I don't think so. seems to me it's perfectly reasonable. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Isn't that what heightened alert is all about? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Elizabeth in Waterford. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi, Jeff. Uh, oh, wait a minute. I've got to make sure I've got you properly on my phone here. Can you hear me? I can hear you just fine. What do you think? All right. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, so background is important here. I don't have anything to do with Iran, but I am a Canadian citizen with a green card living in the United States. My husband is American, and um, I'm in the middle of working on becoming an American citizen right now myself, uh, actually. Congratulations, by the way. I'll let you make... Congratulations, by the way. I'll let you make a point, but I I, I just... Every... Once every couple of years, I make a point of going to some of the naturalization ceremonies, and I'm just so impressed with people who've, you know, done jumped through all the hoops that you have to jump through to become a citizen. So I mean that sincerely. Congratulations. Thank you. It is a lot of work and kind of a headache to try to answer everything and get it figured all out, but I'm I'm excited and looking forward to it. Sure. Uh, uh. So uh, I'm also from the Vancouver area. My hometown is about an hour to the east. And um, I lived for the better part of 35 years, essentially, either on the north side or the south side of that border in that region, in British Columbia and Washington State. So I've been through that border many times, um, and the other two by land and one by water border crossings that are right in that general area. And what I would say is that I have no idea whether or not some amount of profiling went on, but it is... That border crossing in particular is so busy that many of us know to try to avoid taking it when possible, although I understand it would have been the most convenient for that particular concert. Uh, And 
you, the border guards get bogged down in there. There have been holiday weekends that we've gone up when there weren't things like concerts going on that um, you get delayed and asked more questions by uh, different guards. Sometimes there are uh, language barriers that are in the way that can make it even harder and can make it take longer. So how much of it was racial profiling and how much was just it was kind of bad timing to go across? I would say it's a little bit debatable. Right. And also coming from that area, when there are times that the, that either the U.S. or Canada is on a higher alert for any particular reason, it's longer and harder. Like after September 11th, a lot of people didn't cross the border, period, for some months because they knew the extra security was just crazy and it, it, it was very hard to do. Right, so and, and I'm sure it was... I well, I guess and I I'm sure it's annoying. I right. This story, I think there are a lot of variables. Good enough. Well, thanks so. for the call, Elizabeth, and th- thanks for joining us. And, and I guess, you know, part of, and especially if you go through there, and look, and I, I, I'm sure there's a little bit of everything that, that's going on here. And I, I, bad timing, I think, contributed. You had, they said there was a shortage of people. I, and I, I do think, again, and some people are disagreeing with me on the text lines, I, I also do think you have to make a separation. If you are an Iranian national coming into this country, now I'm I'm, create, I'm carving out a difference from an, an, an Iranian American, but if you're an Iranian national that's coming into this country nowadays, I, I think, and I'm not, I'm not suggesting you're a suicide bomber or a terrorist, but given where we are in the world today and given the pronouncements that the Iranian government is making, if you don't think you're going to be subject to a little bit of extra scrutiny and a little bit of added questioning, well, I, I, I'm sorry to disabuse you, but you know what? think about that crossing guard. That lets somebody, and again, I'm separating out Iranian American citizens from the foreign nationals. Let think about somebody that lets somebody in, and it turns out you've let in this suicide bomber, and next thing you know, you know, there's a bunch of people that that are dead. I, I think this is the only. It's only reasonable to expect some added scrutiny. John in Crystal Lake. John, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey Jeff, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Uh, sorry about the laryngitis, but. Um yeah, I think your uh, previous caller just stole my thunder. 1991, I was up in Montreal for work, and um, right then the Gulf War had broke out. And on my way back, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, I have a French-Canadian last name, even though I was born and raised. My father's a Korean War vet. And boy, i got to tell you the scrutiny. I went to get back across the border, even though, obviously, the, the French Canadians weren't fighting with the U.S., but suddenly the border just tightened up really, really tight between Canada and the U.S. And I was detained, not detained, but I was questioned very, very thoroughly. I think back then I didn't even have to have a passport to get back and forth between the two countries, which I did often. And uh, but yeah, they sat and talked with me for several hours, uh, questioning hours. over and over. Hours, hours. you were detained. Okay, interesting. And asked me what my birthplace, which is Milwaukee, and I had to go over and over and say, "No, Milwaukee County, Wisconsin." <laughs> and what what are you doing here? I just told you. No, but what what company do you work for? But I just smiled and went through it. And it's not the first time that that's happened between the Canadian and U.S. border. They tighten really tight when these things happen, especially after nine eleven. Well, right, and I think the bottom line is, John. I think. We, look, I, 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 nobody's calling for racial profiling or things like that, but, but we want, we want enhanced border security. I mean, that's, 
that's one of the things that if 9-11 taught us nothing, that, that there is that degree of vulnerability. So, yeah, I'm sure it was an inconvenience to some people, and and especially if they were understaffed. But is it really that awful that, okay, maybe you get asked a couple extra questions and maybe you get delayed an hour or two or whatever? And I understand that's frustrating. Nobody likes it. But um, we, we are at a time where, again, this nation is being threatened. And if I'm the border guard, I'm erring on the side of caution. Totally agree. And it is a little scary to go through the uh, interrogation, but I, I just smiled and I, yeah. I, I congratulated the border guards and I said, hey, thanks for doing your job. I know what you have to do. And sorry, I have a French Canadian name, but <laughs> yeah, <it's, laughs> I'm a U.S. citizen. It, it, and, here, and here's the papers. No, thank, thanks for calling. No, I, I mean, look, I understand it's a scary thing. We were in, um, when we were uh, coming, uh, either going or coming on the on our the, the trip we recently took, um, when we cruised, uh, we started in Amsterdam. But to get to Amsterdam, you go through Frankfurt. All right, you know Frankfurt Airport, and the the Germans they do not fool around. And you know you you've got people with the machine guns all over, and you got the dogs, and you've got the the customs people who. Um, uh, if they have a sense of humor, I haven't seen it in any of the various times I've been through Frankfurt. And I mean, I just just the last time we were going there. I, I mean, I understand how it's kind of a scary and intimidating type of thing. You know, I'm there with my my wife. We've got our passports that are out there. And we're as part of this group, and they're they're asking us repeated questions. What's the purpose of your travel? What's the purpose of your travel? Where are you going to be going? They're asking you know a whole series of questions, and and I get it. It's just the, their approach. Now, again, I don't. Nobody's talking about like a return to World War II where you put Chinese or Japanese Americans in internment camps and things like that. But, you know, in an era of heightened security, I think we have to recognize that there are going to be some inconveniences. And if you are a foreign national coming into this country, I, I think you should be prepared to perhaps answer some questions and, and wait maybe a little longer than normal. It's just the way of the world. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Four texts and one of my colleagues coming in saying, how does this global entry thing work? I'm going overseas. I'm just telling you here. I, I come this way but once. If if there's any chance at all that you may be traveling overseas and you, you, you want to save – you, you want to save yourself some time and hassle, go, go with the global entry card. It's, it's 100 bucks, and, and if you're one of those people that you know travels enough that you don't want to get stuck in, you'd, you'd like to go into the TSA pre-check line, like I say, global entry includes TSA pre-check. So 85 bucks for TSA pre-check that I believe you pay to like Homeland Security, but global entry, that's customs, that's 100 bucks. So you get the... The international travel thing for an extra fifteen dollars. It lasts for um, it's five years and it's renewable. But um, again, if if I think back on all the money that I spent in two thousand nineteen, and you think what what was the best hundred dollars you spent? In this case, it was no question. It was getting that global entry card, and you can just go online and they can explain how to do it. It's that it it seems like it might be a little bit daunting, and, and they were suggesting that because home uh, customs is as all these things at the border, it might take forever. In my case, it, it didn't. I mean, I think when my wife and I applied for them, you know, we, we from beginning till interview till card issued, it was only a few weeks. It was not bad at all. So check that out, and that's my, that's my public service announcement of the day. All right. We, at, at my house, 
we have one of those ring security cameras that's on the on the doorbell and it's actually it's kind of cool i i wasn't i i was not enthusiastic about doing it i wouldn't have necessarily done it I've done it, but my my wife thought it would be a good idea to install it at our house. And so my my brother-in-law, Kenny, thank you, Kenny, he had one at his house, and he came over and installed them on ours. And and the way these things work, if you haven't heard about it, is is we, we have two. We have one in the front of our house and one in the back of our house. I'll talk about the one in the front. The They took out – you take out the old doorbell, and then you, you put this ring – it, that's the the brand name. You, you put it in. It's got a doorbell in it, and it's also got a camera. And then what you do is you hook it up it, to the home Wi-Fi system. So it's part, you know, it's part of part of the network. And then you download the Ring app. So what I can do is when the doorbell rings, you can set this when there's when there is motion at the front door. What happens is. If you have your app set for this, you get a notification. It'll it'll buzz, make this kind of like like water falling sort of sound that that tells you there's something at your front door. So if you're at home and you're you know in the back of the house and you know you don't, you want to see who's at the doorbell or the doorbell rings or there's some adjustment at the door and you want to see who's there, you you can look at this and you can also the the camera is also a microphone so you can talk to the person. And it, it's actually it's it's kind of cool in that respect, and it works if you're out of town as well. You can be sitting on the beach in Key West, Florida, and if you have the thing open, you know, and it alerts you that there's somebody at your door. You can go on the app and you can say, "Hey, what are you doing there?" Or, "Hi, Janella, nice to see you." You know, we're on the beach having a drink or or whatever. So it, it's kind of a cool sort of thing. Um, it is a convenience, but it's also a security device as well because it films. It films what and I, filming it digitally. I mean, you know, it, it shows you what's going on, so you can go back and I, I don't know how long exactly it lasts, but you can go back and and you can see, you know, what was was going on at your house at a given time. All right, I, I it's not that expensive. I'm a big believer in it. We've got one on our back uh, door as well. So here, here's the deal, the and this is the way the Journal Sentinel is reporting it. All right, there's this silver Mazda stolen. New Year's Day in Menominee Falls. Um, and the person apparently had left the keys in the car. And they, so they stole the car. What happened is uh, another homeowner locked the car. So the guy that they think might have stolen the first car came back and tried to steal another car. The homeowner, though, saw the suspicious activity on home video and contacted the Menominee Falls police. Now, I don't know if this was a ring doorbell camera or whether it was just a, some sort of other surveillance camera that they had up there. But the bottom line is they 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 saw this. And because it appeared that the stolen car was in the background of the home video, it also showed the suspect. So a guy steals one car. And it appears that he drives that car to another driveway and then uses it to try to steal another car. So now they've got this video of the person. Okay, well, it's that's obviously useful because now the Menominee Falls police have a suspect to look for. And that's why they are asking residents to participate in what they call the community co-op program. Under this program, business owners and residents 
can register their surveillance camera systems with the police department. So you essentially, I guess you go online and you say, okay, I've, I've got this surveillance system here and I'm going to register it. And then apparently what happens is if the police department um, becomes aware of suspicious activity or a crime in your neighborhood or outside your business, um, they 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 might show up. They might show up at your doorstep, and they they might say, "Hey, you know, we got us this call about um, a, a suspicious car that was in the neighborhood. Can we look at your security camera video? Can we look at your doorbell camera video? Or, you know, I don't know if you know this, but your neighbor's house was was vandalized or burglarized last night. You're registered with us. We'd like to to see your your video." Now, um, the officer then checks the video, um, looking to see if there's anything that might help. Now, the police department says, look, you know, just because you've signed up for this, that doesn't, you, you still have the right to say no. If you're going to, you know, if, if for whatever reason you don't want us to be able to see that, well, okay, th- this, this isn't giving us a right to do it. Now, I don't know if somebody said no, whether the police could then go get a search warrant or something and force them to do it. I don't know about that. But but this is a voluntary thing for a neighbor to do. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't know about you. I have, I have no problem doing this. And if the police in the community where I lived, you know, wanted to come and, and look at my surveillance camera system, they, they would be more than welcome to do that. And I think for most people, that's exactly how this would play out. Would you share your video system with the police? Would you register for something like this? story that I have in front of me says that since October, 54 people have registered their surveillance cameras. If the community where I live did something like this, I'd be one of the first to register it. I want the authorities to know that, hey, I've got this little surveillance system. I don't know if it can help or not, but if it can help, you are more than willing to come and look at it. Isn't that just the classic example of see something, say something, help out? Would you be willing to turn over your surveillance cameras to the police to let them try to find out if something suspicious was going on. To me, it's a no-brainer. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I'm surprised more people in Menominee Falls haven't done this because it seems to me that this is a great idea to help, if not keeping neighborhoods safe, help, uh, again, identify people who are committing crimes in neighborhoods. This is Neighborhood Watch with the new technology, isn't it? We discuss. If you're on the line, hold on. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. We have about two dozen emails. Everybody saying, where do I go to sign up for this? Of course I'd cooperate with the authorities. Well, I sure would. Gary in Genesee Depot. Gary, good afternoon. Hi. Hi, Gary. Uh, my thought is, My thought is this. I would hope to take it to another level if they could tap in with some kind of software that they could get a live a live picture of what's going on outside in front of my house i'd give them permission to do that anytime mm-hmm. yeah i i mean i i i have i think most people feel they have nothing to hide these cameras 
are all focused outside. I mean, I'm not talking about, you know, security cameras that are in your house showing what's going on. That might be a different kind of thing. But, yeah, as far as as outside, I, I'm with you. Any Anything the police want to monitor, if 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 instead of having to have a police car drive through the neighborhood, they can tap into different, again, cameras that show them what's going on. What, what's the downside of that? I, I want law enforcement to see this, and I want I want the bad guys to know that they're on surveillance cameras, and they're out there before they stop, think about, you know, coming in and robbing some person's house. Yeah, I think if there's some suspicious activity uh, reported at the house across the street or whatever, and they can go to a grid and say, hey, this guy's got a camera, Let's see what's going on. Right. By all means, go for it. Yeah, no, thanks for calling. Now, again, there, I, I mean, tapping into the stuff, I, like I say, my, my ring camera is hooked up to my, my home Wi-Fi internet, so I, I don't know how that logistic works. But as far as registering it for the communities, I mean, Nominee Falls has done this, and like I say, since October, the number I have says only 54 people have registered their surveillance cameras, I, I and I think it's only because people might not know about it, because my guess is most people, and certainly it's unanimous with and a huge volume of people who are texting and calling in, I, I think most people say, yeah, we would... Uh, yeah, of course, we would cooperate in this regard, and, and and what they do in the falls is again they just they just list it. You tell police that you've got a surveillance camera, and you you say you know what your address is, and so then the police know that hey, if there's a crime that's committed in this area, we are going to go back and we'll knock on your door and we'll ask you for permission to look at it. All right, that's I, I to me that's that's great and if it makes the neighborhood safer and you take advantage of security and i look i appreciate right to privacy and things like that and that's why the cameras look out but if this is something if it's something that if i was standing at my front door looking out and i could see and it happens to be picked up on the security camera i'm sharing it with the police so good for menominee falls for doing this pleasant prairie does it i know there's another a lot of areas that do it i think get the word out because i think most of us are willing to cooperate and make the neighborhood safer. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Okay, so today is January 7th. I am looking at the 10-day forecast, which takes us through, inclusive counting now, January 16th, the week from Thursday. And um, I tell you, for mid-January, we're, we're, we're doing okay. Today, the high, 40 degrees. Tomorrow, it's going to get colder. The high is 22, and the wind chill is going to take it down to around zero. But then Thursday goes back to 47. Friday, the high is 40. Saturday, 32. Um, again, all, all around freezing, and there's a chance for snow on Friday night into Saturday. But moving through next week, at least through next Wednesday, which is the 15th, the highs, with the exception of tomorrow, are all predicted to be uh, above, at or above freezing. Looks like next Thursday, a week from Thursday, it's going to get a little bit colder, 23 to 10. And 10. But you're, you're already halfway through January. If I am trying to sound like the glasses half full guy, it's because that's my New Year's resolution. I'm going to try to be the glasses half full guy as opposed to half empty. And we're halfway through January, or we will be halfway through January. And there's at least so far... We haven't been hit by that polar vortex or things like that. Now, I am not naive. I didn't just fall off the turnip truck. I recognize that, you know, even though, you know, we had an awful November, um, I, I, and I also recognize that we're, 
we're probably going to get a stretch of, of some of that cold weather. But, you know, the, the worst is typically late December, January, and then into early February. And then it just inevitably, the, the idea of the long cold snaps, and I'm talking about the stupid cold, that, that becomes less and less likely. So we're, we're still going to get some winter. I have no doubt about that. But, uh, again, at least if you look at the projection through a week from Thursday, still none of the huge snow uh, snowfalls out there and, and no suggestions of, uh, again, that, that bitter, bitter cold. Is it likely before January is over we'll see some? Yeah, but every day, every day in the 30s is a day closer to spring. All right. This is one of these stories, interesting on a lot of levels, but the aspect I want to take to it is it's one where I, I was warning my producer, Gru, during the break, back off because it is one where my head could perhaps explode and I don't want him damaged by the uh, destruction. All right, that story... From Saturday in Milwaukee involving the kids with the snowballs has gone viral. If you haven't been following it, here's what happens. Um, Saturday evening, about uh, 7 or 8 o'clock, what happens is you have a group of kids that are throwing snowballs at cars. And the police get a report that two kids have been shot, a kid who's 12 and a kid who's 13. This shooting happened in the 6100 block of West Birch Street around 7.50 p.m. So there's a report that there is a shooting. A 12-year-old kid is shot, a 13-year-old kid is shot, a girl and a boy, respectively. All right, what happened is the kids are part of a larger group of juveniles that are throwing snowballs at cars. One of the snowballs strikes this white Toyota. Don't know anything other about it. The driver of the Toyota gets hacked off, pulls out a gun, and shoots into the group that is throwing snowballs. All right? Hits the two kids and then drives off. Search is underway for the driver, but my my sense is they don't have a... They don't have a good clue and a good description of the car other than it's a white Toyota. Matter of fact, one of the things the police are doing is they're, they're looking to see if there's like surveillance video from some of the houses or something that might give them an idea. Okay, so good news is kids are going to recover. Bad news is stupid gun violence. And, and look, somebody sent me a text saying, well, you were making fun of Wausau for having a ban on throwing snowballs. Do you want to reconsider that? No, I don't want to reconsider that. Having a ban on throwing snowballs is stupid. Throwing car snowballs at cars is equally stupid. And shooting people who throw cars at you is not just stupid, it is criminal. It's just shooting people from cars just because they threw a snowball at you is not only stupid, it's criminal. All right, I don't want to talk about any of that. Here's the intrig- interesting part of the story to me as it appears in today's Washington Post. Like I say, this story has gone viral. I, at, you could read about it, not only in the local newspaper, but the Washington Post and Fox News and all these things. The alderman from the area, now follow me on this one, is Cavalier Johnson. His district includes the scene where the shooting occurs. All right, I, I want to read you what it says about the alderman. He says he's appalled by the driver's action. Okay? Quote, they could have let down the window and told the kids not to do that, Johnson said. They could have yelled at the kids. They could have chased the kids home. They could have told their their parents. Right? I agree with everything the alderman said. 
right? I mean, who shoots at some kids who threw a snowball or snowballs at your car? So we're on the same wavelength that far, but it goes further. Saturday's incidents, this is according to the alderman, Saturday's incident should serve as yet another example of the necessity of gun legislation. Johnson said, quote, gun laws in this state are decided in Madison. Once again, I'm asking for the people who control the legislature to do something about this so we don't have situations like this in this city or anywhere in Wisconsin. Let me read that again. Gun laws in this state are decided in Madison. Once again, I'm asking for the people who control the legislature to do something about this so we don't have situations like this in this city or anywhere in Wisconsin. Bunch of kids throwing snowballs at a car. Some driver, I'm presuming it's a male, but it could be a female, gets hacked off when the car gets hit, fires shots into the group. And the alderman's reaction is, we need action from Madison. Do something about this so we don't have situations like this in this city or anywhere in Wisconsin. I put it to you. Is there something, is there a gun law that you could have passed in Madison which would have stopped this? Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And if you've got an idea for this, I would love to hear from you. Because the last time I checked, my guess is, without putting on my old prosecutor's cap, my guess is I could probably think of 5 to 10 gun laws which in all likelihood, existing laws on the books, which have probably been violated by the person in the car when you shoot into the group of kids. Uh, my, my guess is there are five or ten laws that just automatically jump out that have been violated. But, I mean, is, and, and that's without even knowing, but we can probably assume, my guess is the person who did this Probably not their first time at the rodeo. My guess is a lengthy criminal record. My guess is probably a felon not allowed to legally own a firearm in the first place. Could be wrong, but I'm probably not. But all right, the alderman says we need more gun laws. Well, I I don't know. Short of going door to door and confiscating everybody's firearm, is there something that Madison could have done to have prevented this? Because I swear, I don't know what that would have been. We discuss in just a moment. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this a case where we need the state legislature to come up with something else that would stop some psycho who gets hacked off when kids throw snowballs at him from pulling out a gun and shooting him? Because, like I say, last time I checked, there's probably at least five or ten laws which already make this illegal, and it didn't deter the person. We discussed a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Let's start with Mike in Milwaukee. Hi, Mike. Hey. What do you think? Well, the the point isn't, is there something Madison could have done to prevent this? We don't know how that person got the gun. 
We don't know if it was legal or not. We don't know if he should have one. We don't know if there was a background check. We don't know any of that. So to talk about that is kind of ridiculous. The point that Johnson's making is that in Madison, they've got to do something to stop guns. The last time they wanted to have a meeting on it, they would not even sit down and talk. Not saying something had to be done at the meeting. They didn't even want to talk, which I think is a kind of a talk. And they don't want to talk because, and you can debate this all you want, and you can deny it. The NRA has the purse strings, and that's what's causing. Okay, but what, what would you have done to prevent this? What what law would you have passed? Because, like I say, it's it's illegal. You don't know. Well, well, it's illegal to fire a gun. For the, the guy, the, the guy, you would, we would both agree, the guy committed a crime when he shot the gun, right? Yes. Would you agree with my premise that in all likelihood he probably wasn't able to legally possess a gun? In all likelihood. We don't know, but he's probably a felon, right? We don't know. We but, don't know. But probably. He could, he could have fought in it. He could have passed a background check, which they didn't have. Yeah. He could have got it at a gun show where he didn't need to. He could have bought it secondhand, which he doesn't need to. So you think we that we need to that. focus more on how he got the gun as opposed to what he did with the gun? Well, yeah, because no matter what he did, if he doesn't get that gun, he can't do it. Okay, well, I, I, I agree. Okay, well, I mean, I'm sorry, your, your phone, I love that conversation. Your phone's cutting out a little bit. I didn't mean to hang up on you, but I, uh, okay. Here, I mean, but here's kind of the reality of, of what's going on. Yeah, I guess you can understand, well, gee, if we had tighter background checks, well, he might not have gotten a gun. I guess my basic premise is that if somebody is willing to act out in this kind of irresponsible fashion and this criminal fashion, he, he's going to figure out a way to have a gun. Like I say, my guess is that this isn't going to be the guy's first time at the rodeo. This is going to be an all big, I mean, maybe you just wake up one morning and decide, hey, today's the day I'm driving around with a gun and somebody's going to throw some snowballs at me and I, I'm going to fire into the kids and then I'm going to drive off. Now, maybe you do that without any contact with the criminal justice system. My guess is probably not. Probably if they catch the guy, and it's an if, if they catch the guy, it's going to turn out that, again, lengthy criminal record, not able to legally own a firearm, period. So you've got all these gun laws that are out there already. And, I mean, if if he wasn't a felon, well, then he would have probably been able to pass a, a background check. Now, if the question is, do we need to figure out ways to perhaps make it more difficult for people who are ill not able to legally own firearms from getting firearms. Well, okay, I'm, I'm not opposed to that. I've never been opposed to it. But at the end of the day, this crime is committed because you have somebody who's willing to use that firearm and is willing to shoot into a crowd of kids because they threw snowballs. To me, what you have to do is you have to, and, and this is where I'd love to see some of the aldermen, I'd love to see the mayor. I, I'd love to see him get behind some of the things that guys like me talk about, which is mandatory minimum sentencing. All right, you get caught with a gun. You're a felon in possession of a firearm. You're going to prison for five years. Yep, yeah, you're going to prison for five years. You use that firearm that you're not legally allowed to own. You use it in the commission of a crime. You're going to jail for a minimum of five years. No answers, no questions. I don't care what your background is. You're not legally allowed to have this gun. You know, if we would start being willing to 
again, take the people who are committing gun crimes and remove them from society for lengthy periods of time. I understand you'd have to build more prisons, but maybe just maybe that would make the community a bit safer. Let's talk to Dave in Appleton. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. And that is exactly the law I was going to support. And I wasn't going five years. I'm going 10 years. Mm -hmm. Any crime you commit with a gun, any crime, you caught shoplifting a Snickers bar and you got an illegal gun, you go to jail for 10 years. No Mm -hmm. parole, no probation, because like you said, this guy or girl this ain't the first time at the rodeo. You know it. They've got a history. They should have been locked up 10 years ago for 10 years. You're a felon and you possess a firearm. Okay, you know you're not allowed to have it. You know, what are you doing with the gun? You get caught with the gun, you go to prison for five years. And if that means we've got to build more prisons, fine. If that means we're incarcerating too many of this type of person or that type of person, too bad. I mean, if we're going to get serious about gun crime, let's get serious about gun crime. And let's start by punish, what, punishing the people. This is what I want the Republicans to do in our in our state government. I mean, Tony Evers is out there whining, oh, we got to do something. Well, here it is, Tony. Here's the law. Sign it. Well, I- exactly. Right. And, and let's, okay, let, let's start doing that. Now, by the way, I, I'm, I understand that uh, people don't always agree with me on this stuff, but I, I, I don't, I don't have an issue with like the universal background checks. And I, I know, I appreciate some of my more conservative friends don't necessarily agree with me on that, but that's okay. But I mean, I guess I, I don't have, I guess I don't, I don't have a problem with the idea of if you buy a gun through a licensed federal firearms dealer and you have to go through a background check, I don't have a problem with if it's, hey, if it's a private sale, you have to go through a background check as well, especially since background checks can be done quickly and cheaply now. I, would I have some exceptions? Yeah, but I, I, I think I think on the one side, the, the, the folks who believe in Second Amendment rights have to be willing to say, okay, let's do some common sense stuff to see if we can make it more difficult to keep fi- for to keep fire make it easier to keep firearms out of the hands of people who shouldn't have them. I don't have an issue with that. But then the flip side, and I would say to the left, would be all right. In exchange for that, are you willing to say once and for all that we're going to start warehousing? Yes, that's my word. Warehousing people who are committing crimes with guns. And, you know, whether it's the felon in possession of the gun or whether it's, in this case, the person that uses that gun to shoot into a crowd of kids, regardless of what their intent is, boom, that is their action. Let's stop figuring out ways to put them on double secret probation. Let's send them to Wapan or send them wherever, and let's keep them there for a couple years. And maybe they'll learn their lesson. Maybe not, but just maybe they will. All right, if that's the kind of legislation you're really talking about, well, I could get behind it. I don't think that's necessarily what the aldermen meant, though. This is Jeff Wagner.